Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. I've been gone so long I forgot what book I was teaching from. No, just kidding. No, I definitely didn't forget, but it feels like I've been gone so long, but it's good to be back with you. We're going we're gonna to dive right in, and you know, where we picked up, or where we're going to pick up is in verse 8, and we left off, if you recall, in ver- the first seven verses of Romans 13, we talked about the Christian's response to civil government. What should that look like? It's pretty simple. Verse 1 tells it, uh, 2 is pretty plain language. Uh, you know, we're always looking for an exception clause because we're all re- rebels by heart. We want to we wanna know when we can disobey the government. Actually, that's what we're more interested in. Um, but the commandment there in verse 1 was to subject, be subject to the government authorities. He repeats that command and then kind of just gives some explanations why. And then we jump into this next passage. And it and you're going to see here, and I've, and I've kind of brought this up. Um, I'm going to bring this up on a screen here just so that we can kind of observe this together. And I'm not clicking. Here we go. There's probably user error. It usually is. But this is the passage we're going to look at this morning. And I want to just point out really two things to you. And that's just the repetition of the word love. And then the repetition of another phrase. And so let's just kind of read through this together. I'm just going to go through and underline as we go. But verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, you shall... Love, your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love, and I just erased it all, didn't I? Man, y'all saw it. We're trying to figure this out. We want to be able to utilize this technology. So, but anyways, you saw the loves. You saw where I was going with that. Okay, so here's the other phrase I want to point out that's repeated twice in this section. You notice that that love fulfills the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. We see that repeated twice. So how does that play out? It, it kind of, you know, it reminds me of an old Beatles song, right? All you need is love. 1967, they take some of us back. Some of us were still like not even a thought in, in utero, but for some that takes you back, 1967, all you need is love. And you know, one of the things that I love about the scriptures that um, I, I didn't always get growing up, you know, mom, and, and I'm, this is not a criticism. My mom's actually here today, so I'm not criticizing her. This is just what parents do though, right? Just do it because I said so, right? Don't, a lot of times, it's like the Nike, you know, that's like Nike parenting, just do it. I don't, want, I don't have to explain to you why you have to get your shoes on. Just go get them on. Just do it. And you know, what I love about the Bible is the Bible's not that way. The Bible will give instructions, but the Bible will also explain why. And God always provides resources to execute what he tells us to do. That's what I love about the Bible. And so when, he, when Paul gets into this section and he says, love. You owe people love. Love's the fulfillment of the law. You need to love others. You need to love your neighbors. You need to love other, you know, one another. He's not just saying just do it. There, there's actually some context to this. Um, and that's what we're going to look at this, this morning. And so he's not saying just follow God's laws. Just follow your country's laws. How do you do it? Well, just love people and that's how you're going to. That's not even the gist of what he says. In fact, 
it just reminds me of just a, a very practical illustration that if, if I were to tell you to go mow my lawn, that, that command would have significance. But if I were to tell you before that, hey, I've got a shed full of tools and you can, there's a riding lawnmower back there. Now go mow my lawn. See, now I've explained to you, you've got resources. And, and the people that don't understand the resources they have, they say, well, he told me to mow my lawn, so you know, where's, my, where's my kitchen shears? I'm gonna go get to work on that. And, and you know, many people live their Christian life just that way, in their own strength, on their hands and knees, cutting the grass with kitchen shears, when God has provided resources in the tool shed to do it much better, much more thoroughly equipped, much in a way that would please him and honor him. And that's what we find in love. We've been given the tool shed of how to love earlier in the book of Romans. And so we'll bring that out as we kind of go through the passage. And let me see if I can clear this ink now. You guys are guinea, do you like being guinea pigs? You're a guinea pig this morning. Sorry about that. John, can you, do I need to do it again or you got it? Okay. When John does things, he does it well and complete. So, all right. So verse eight, let's dig, let's dig in. Verse eight, oh, oh, no one anything except to love one another for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You know, we look at this, this word, oh, and, and literally, okay, we're gonna look at a literal meaning and a figurative meaning. Literally, it means to be indebted to someone in a monetary sense. That's what it means. Don't, don't be indebted to somebody in a monetary sense. Well, clearly he's not talking about that here. That, that seems, he seems to be using a general meaning of this word. And so figuratively, it could mean to be bound or obligated to perform a, a duty. Um, and in this case, what we're going to see is that we just come out of this section on government. So there's an obligation in the sense of civic duty. And what we're going to see is coming out of verse 7, what was our civic duty to civil government? Subject and submit yourself. What's our civic duty to our neighbor within the government, within our society? It's to love them. That's the duty. And that's what we're going to see. That's, that's what we owe to people. And so, uh, again, through these first seven verses, in fact, verse seven, he, he talks specifically, how do, you, how do you perform your duty to government officials? Well, you pay taxes. And I know, man, that's like a five-letter curse word. I mean, I get it. You know, we don't like taxes. We don't, we don't want to pay taxes. But he says, pay taxes to whom taxes are due customs, fear, honor. We sell it in verse seven. And now what we're going to see is that was specific for the government. Now he's going to open the audience to all. That's, that's what we're going to see as we get into verse eight. He's opening this, this duty of love to everybody, to everybody that we interact with. So we've got these specific obligations to the government. Now we're not to hold back our civic duties to our fellow citizens. And everything that we do to our fellow citizens is to primarily be guided by love. All right, so we're just kind of setting the stage for this. Now, interestingly enough, many pastors and Bible teachers have used this verse, this particular verse, to teach that believers should not go into debt. I think that's a great teaching, by the way. I just don't think this verse <laughs> teaches that. Um, so I don't think this is the main thrust of Paul's argument here, is not to go into debt. I think his main thrust is you've got an obligation, and the obligation is to love other people in your, in your culture, in your, in your neighborhood, in your life, in, in your civic, uh, as part of your civic responsibilities as a, as a believer. And, and as one commentator said, you know, Christians should be the, the best citizens in every country. They should be the best employees. 
They should be the best employers. They should be the best husbands. They should be the best wives. They should be the best children. They should be the best parents. That should be true of every Christian because Christians have resources that are divinely provided to live in accordance with grace and to walk by faith and actually benefit from the life of Jesus Christ in and through us. I mean, that's, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's, this is ultimately what he's talking about here. This is our obligation. This is our, our duty as believers is to love one another. In fact, that's what we are indebted to. That's what we owe people. That's what our obligation is, is to love one another. And, you know, many of you that, that study the Bible, you'll know, but there's, there's multiple Greek words used to translate the, the English word love. And, and um, you just heard a, a sermon on love a couple weeks ago, you know, while I was in Liberia. And Mark spent a whole sermon talking about that the greatest of these is love. This is the, the Greek word here is, is the verb form of agape. It's agapao is, is the verb form of the Greek word agape that we typically are very familiar with. Um, typically, it just means unconditional love. I've heard somebody describe it as the all give love. But one of the things that we have to take into consideration, and I think this is so key in the passage, it takes us back to our tool shed of what we learned back in Romans 6, 7, and 8, what we learned in Romans 12, 1, takes us back, is this. This love right here that he talks about is not something you and I can crank out. We, we got to know that. And if you think that you can just grit your teeth and love people the way that he's talking about right here, roll up your boots, you know, squeeze your fists together, white-knuckle living then you are the person outside cutting the grass with a pair of scissors. You, you are not utilizing resources available to your, at your disposal, and, and, you, and you will experience frustration, and you will flounder no matter how many commitments you make, how many promises you make to never do that again, to start doing this going forward. It, it doesn't matter because you're not designed to produce this. That's what Galatians 5.22 says. Those of you that know the verse, you can repeat it with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is the love we're talking about. This is the fruit that the Spirit of God produces. You can't produce it. Jesus says in John 15 that if you don't abide in me without me, you can do a little bit. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. And this is, we've got to understand that when we come into Romans 13, 8, Paul is not telling you crank out love and get busy and just do it Nike style. Just get it done. No, he's assuming that he's actually taught something before Romans 13, like chapters 1 through 12, and that, and that we know what's in the tool shed. We know what's available to us. And do you know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the life of Jesus Christ available to you every moment of every day as you walk by faith? The same life that was raised from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you? Why? you got a riding lawnmower. Why are you grabbing the scissors? Why are you grabbing the flat-edge razor? Why are you grabbing a... A toothpick, a sharp tooth. I mean, come on, what are we doing? We got, we got lots of goodies in that tool shed. Let's go explore it. Let's start walking by faith. Let's start enjoying the Lord. And so this is what we're talking about. It, it, it comes out in this section. And I will just tell you this, that if you have trouble loving people, your deficiency is not in your effort. Your deficiency is in your faith. 
Your deficiency is in the source of life from which you're living. And, and, and it's explained real easily. It's actually a really simple ex- explanation. If you don't love people, you're not walking according to spirit. Because when you're walking according to spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love. See, it's, it's actually a lot more simple than we make it. We, we complicate it. In fact, we keep authors in business buying their books telling us how to love people better and, and steps to do it and steps to grow. And then, and then we, we read articles and we keep bloggers in fashion online because they have the, the silver bullet secret to love. And you know, here's the silver bullet secret. You can't do it. But the Spirit of God can do it through you. That's it. That's it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so when he says, you're indebted to love one another, what he's basically saying is, you are indebted to walk by means of the Spirit if you're going to be a good citizen in your country. That's the gist of what he's saying in this passage. And you know, as you walk by means of the Spirit, as you love one another the way the Spirit of God wants to in and through you, guess what? You're going to fulfill the law. You're not only going to fulfill God's law, you're going to fulfill the law of the land. And that's what we're going to get into as we kind of dig into the details a little bit more. You know, typically this phrase, one another, that we see here in verse 8, you know, he says, owe no one anything except to love one another. Typically that refers to believers in the Bible. It's typically a good clue that he's talking about. How do you treat other believers? So definitely true here. Probably has that meaning. But we also see later that he mentions our neighbor in verse 10. And so this isn't just something that we're to do to other believers, but this is something that we're to do to all citizens. You mean, you mean even the jerk that cuts me off in traffic? Yeah, yeah. We're, to, we, we're obligated to love him or her. What about the, the cell phone company that is overcharged me for the third month in a row, right? Anybody have that cell phone company too? Like, What's up with that? Like, just get my bill right so you don't waste 30 minutes of my life on hold, right? Yes, they deserve to be shown love too. We are obligated as believers, not because necessarily they deserve it, but because we have resources that defy natural response. We have resources at our disposal that defy the natural reaction that overtakes us sometimes, you know? And so these are the opportunities that we have. And so what Paul is saying here is not not only are you obligated to love, but I think as as we take the onion layer back uh, a level, you are obligated as a believer to walk by means of the Spirit. You know what? If if you begin and you and I begin to walk by means of the Spirit, you know who's going to love that in your life? Your spouse is going to love that. Because you're going to love them and treat them the way Jesus Christ would treat them. And you know who else is going to love it? Your kids are going to love it. If you begin to take serious that you need to walk by means of the Spirit. Because you're going to have mom and dad who are actually graciously and, and kindly and, and lovingly and sometimes even forcefully guiding them and giving them instruction in life. You know who else is going to love it? Your boss is going to love it. Your employees are going to love it. And man, I'll love it too. Even, uh, the elders are going to love it. You're, the person you're sitting next to is going to love it. This is good. This is good. Like if we, if we can walk by means of the Spirit and, and the Spirit of God begins to produce his fruit in and through our lives, this is, this is a great thing for society. It, it's a great thing for our church. It would be a great thing out there too. And this is what Paul is discussing and talking about. And notice uh, as we go back to verse 8, he uses this word for, and it kind of gives us the reason why. 
right? Four always kind of indicates that he's explaining this or further expanding on this. And so the, the reason for the obligation is given. He says, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. And so it begs the question, what law is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the law of the state? I mean, we just came out of that section. Is he talking about God's law? Well, I think from the context, it's pretty clear that he's talking about God's law. Now, why do I say that? Well, look at verse nine. What does he start quoting? He starts quoting the Ten Commandments. And you know, in a normal society, a Christian who walks by faith and walks by the means of the Spirit, they're going to be law-abiding. It's just the way that's going to work out. The Spirit of God is not looking to lead us to break the law, um, especially not God's law, but, but even civil law that's, that's in place that doesn't violate God's law, the Spirit of God will never lead you to break the society's laws unless they're in contrast or contradiction to God's laws. So we've got to understand that, that this is the reason the obligation is given. If you love one another, you're going to fulfill the law. That's the whole point. Now, what we're going to see here, too, is you don't fulfill the law by trying to fulfill the law. <laughs> That's the natural way to think about fulfilling law. Well, I'm going to keep track. I'm going to keep this list, and I'm going to do these things, and I'm not going to do these things. And we learned what that gets you in Romans chapter 7. It gets you complete and abject failure. If your occupation as a Christian is on the law of God, you will fail. You will be dominated by sin. The things you want to do, you won't be able to do. The things you don't want to do, you, that's what you're going to do. That's, that's what happens to Christians. And, and, and it, with all sincerity, they take up the law of God. They want to live for the Lord. They want to please him. And they start keeping track and lists and do's and don'ts. And their life just turns into I, me, my, me, my, I. And it's like, and you look at that section in Romans 7, if you remember that. And he, and he mentions himself something like 40 times. 40 times abject failure. Guess how many times he mentions the Spirit of God in that section of Romans 7? Zero. Then he learns in, at the end of Romans, remember, it's not what's going to deliver me from the body of the death, it's who. Who is going to deliver me from the body of this death? It, it was a person. It's the person of the Spirit of God in and through us reproducing the life of Christ. That's what delivers us from sin's power. The work of Jesus Christ, taking us with him into his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so um, I'm kind of diverting here. But, you you know, we we look at this word fulfilled. And the word means to to make fill, to to fill a vessel or a hollow place. And figuratively, it meant to supply abundantly with something. And so the idea communicated is if you'll love, if you'll walk by means of the Spirit, you'll you'll fulfill abundantly the requirements of the law. (laughs) You don't have to worry about that. You're going, to go, you're going to supersede that. And what's even interesting is this is in the perfect tense, and it means that you'll do it at a point in time, and the results will continue. Like you, you're going to experience the idea is abundant, abundant life, righteousness and abundance. But it's not by keeping your eye on the law. In fact, what's, what's really interesting is as we jump back in Romans, remember I told you we got to go back to the tool shed. Because the tool shed provides context for what we're looking at in Romans 13. But Paul, back in Romans 8, 4, he ties the idea of fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law with what? Whether or not one is walking by means of the Spirit. Now look at Romans 8, 4. He says this, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what should our emphasis be when we want to live a righteous life as unto the Lord? 
Is it an occupation with the law or is it an occupation with walking in dependence upon the Spirit of God? Well, it's clearly the latter. That's the issue. When you don't see love in your life, it's not because you need to read another book. When you don't see love in your life, it's not because you need to spend an extra hour in prayer. When you don't see love in your life, it's not because you need to read your Bible 30 minutes longer every day. When you don't see love in your life, it's not any of these rituals that we tend to jam in there. It's real simple. You need to walk by means of the Spirit. I need to walk by means of the Spirit. I need to quit trying to live this Christian life in my own strength because I know I'm not designed to live it in my own strength. I've got resources at my disposal. I need to take advantage of those resources. I need to start relying upon the Lord. And that's the whole point here. Romans 8, 4. It, it, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You know, we have learned in the book of Romans that just trying to keep the law in order to achieve righteousness has always and will always be a futile endeavor. Always. It's true in justification. It's also true in sanctification. Because the very righteousness of the law that's required by the law, you and I can never fulfill in our own strength. But the Spirit of God can in the believer who's relying upon him. And this is really the emphasis. And so our focus is never, hey, keep the law. Just do it. Don't break the law. Quit. You know, how does that work out for you, by the way? Struggling with sin? I, 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 have you ever had a friend like that? Like you're struggling with sin. You're kind of, you're pouring your heart out to them. You're, you're just like, oh man, I'm really struggling with this sin. And, and their advice is like, just quit doing it. Just, hey, just knock it off. Just, just stop. How's that work out? I mean, I mean, it's like, really, Captain Obvious. I mean, you were like the original Captain Obvious. They should have hired you for all the commercials. Like, you just got it all figured out. Just stop. Why didn't I think of that? I thought I was just supposed to keep going with it. I mean, clearly that's not the method. Clearly it's not just don't do it and keep this and try harder. See, our focus needs to be the walk by means of the Spirit. That needs to be the emphasis. Then and only then, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, Galatians 5.16 gets turned around a lot in our thinking. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit, and you will never, no, not ever, fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the way many of us understand that verse as it practically works out in our Christian life is, don't walk according to the flesh, and then you'll walk. You'll be walking in the Spirit. In other other words, quit sinning, and then you'll be spiritual. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but maybe you've got a besetting sin. Maybe you've got a couple of them. Um, Maybe you've got three of them. I don't know. Maybe you've got a besetting sin. And has it ever crossed your mind to say, man, if I could just get that one sin under control, I'd be really spiritual? Maybe I just think that way. Sometimes I just think, man, if I could just get that one sin, whatever it is for you, if I could just get this thing under control, then I can really serve the Lord. Then I can be really spiritual. And see, the Bible's just the opposite. God wants to provide the solution for you. God has provided the solution for you. Walk by means of the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And many times we flip it around. And so it's really natural for the believer to take this focus. I just keep the law. Just keep the law. Just, just don't break this. Just quit doing this. Just start doing this. And the focus and the emphasis and the encouragement to say, no, trust the Lord. Walk by means of the Spirit. 
And if you do that, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. One other point on Romans 8, 4, just kind of an observation. Um, I think it's really helpful. And again, just it speaks to the, the subtle emphasis that we're trying to make this morning is this. The righteous requirement of the law are not fulfilled by us. I don't know if you noticed that in Romans 8, 4. It's not fulfilled by us. Rather, it's fulfilled in us by the Holy Spirit. See, that's, that's different. That's not, that's not you cranking it out in your strength, fulfilling the law. That's not what we're talking about at all. This is talking about the law, the righteous requirements of the law being fulfilled in you by the Spirit of God. See, again, it just takes the focus and the pressure and the, the grind away from the Christian life. See, the Christian life's designed to be joyful. The Christian life is designed to be a life of rest. Why? Because we are yoked up with a strong ox that takes care of everything. And you know, it's okay to recognize weakness because then we know we have to depend on the strong ox pulling the load next to us. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he wants to be that for you on a daily basis. He wants, he wants to be that for us. And yet, so many times we are trying to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. We're trying to crank it out. Come, you know, heck or high water, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to squeeze harder. I'm going to grip tighter. I'm going I'm to crank harder. That's not it at all. I'm going to trust more. I'm going to rely more. I'm going to believe and rely upon God's resources more. Not gonna, I can't crank out the Christian life. I mean, how many times do we need to fail before we realize it's a futile endeavor? You know, it's like when I was a kid, I got, you know, milk out of the refrigerator. It was bad. I didn't put it in there to see if it would work the next day, right? I kind of knew. Once, it, once it's bad, it's bad. I, I, I'm dumping it. I'm not, I, I'm not hopeful that it's going to change, right? I need to find a new method. The method is, is really simple. Trust the Lord. And rely upon your God. I mean, it's, we see it scattered throughout the pages of the Word of God. Now, go back with me at Romans 13, because Paul is, uh, is going to give us a summation of law. And he, again, he's trying to, to promote or, or encourage this, this aspect of love, which is produced by the Spirit of God. And so he says this. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, for, for this should make logical sense to us. It, it should really make logical sense because when we walk by means of the Spirit, he's producing divine love in you for your neighbor. If this is true, if this is what we're doing, we're loving one another, then guess what? You're not going to commit adultery with or against your neighbor. That, that's not how the Spirit of God is going to manifest the life of Christ in your life. That's not how it's going to work. And if you're walking by means of the Spirit, you're not going to murder your neighbor. You're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to lie to your neighbor. Uh, and you're not going to covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. You're going to be content with what you got. And that should, that should just make logical sense. If the Spirit of God is guiding and leading our life, this, these things aren't going to be a part of our daily activities. And if they are and you're still saying you're walking by means of the Spirit— First John says, you're a liar. You, you're deceived. You, can't, that's, you are not walking by means of the Spirit if you're living in sin. That, that's a total lie. That's a total lie. I remember uh, somebody recently telling me that, that God was, was leading her to divorce her husband. That's, that's a lie. She, there, was no, there was no reason for it other than she didn't like him anymore. 
And she said, yeah, God's leading me to do it. I'm like, man, he doesn't lead against his word, you know. So, so this is what we're talking about here. This is, these are clear indicators that uh, love is not going to uh, lead you into these things. That's not true love. So as it relates to our society, Paul sums up the law with this statement, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, it's, it's found as early as Leviticus 19. Jesus repeats it in Mark. Paul says it here. He also says it in Galatians. And James says it in James 2.8. That, that the fulfillment of the law is when you love your neighbor as yourself. And, and by the way, how do we love ourselves typically? Pretty well. We, we do a pretty good job of that. Self-preservation, man, just, just kicks in. I mean, even when you don't, you don't try. And, and it's... And it's there for you. It's a pretty natural instinct, the way that you take care of yourself, the way that I take care of myself. And that's the same kind of thought that needs to go forward. And so, um, you know, when this summary was uh, given in Leviticus 19, remember it was specifically given to the Jewish people in light of their civic discourse as a nation. How would they relate to one another? This is when this, this command was initially given, this summary of the law to love your neighbor as yourself. And the implication for us is that if you thought of or cared for your neighbor the way that you unconditionally do for yourself, then that type of love could only be produced by the Spirit of God. I've said it from this pulpit multiple times, but I'll say it again. We typically love grace for ourselves, and we hate it for other people, right? We, we want other people to face judgment, but when we make a mistake, it's like, oh man, give me another chance, you know, we love it for ourselves, And so the same kind of grace that we, we extend to ourselves. and if you don't believe you extend grace to yourself, uh, if, if we didn't extend grace to ourselves, we wouldn't even wake up in the morning. We'd just curl up in the fetal position with, with the failure and the faults and the dumb things that we do, the dumb things that we say, the things that we regret. We would never even get out of bed. We would just lay there in a fetal position under the covers every morning and not even get up. And yet we extend a, a grace to ourselves to give us another chance to try to live today a little bit better than we did yesterday, to not keep making the same mistakes. And yet when somebody else wrongs us one time, oh man, they are out of here, buddy. I'm writing them off. I'm kicking them out. I'm never looking at them again. I'm never talking to them again. And, and, and this is not biblical love. This is not Spirit-produced love. And this is what um, Paul is getting at here. You know, what's interesting is, again, those of you that know your Bible, is that in, in John chapter 13, Jesus takes this level up a notch. He, he actually takes this, this commandment that we see repeated so often, and Jesus takes the standard, which was already up here, and he puts it way up here. In fact, you know the verse... John 13, 34, notice, see if you can tell the difference between this and what we just read in Romans 13. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, that sounds familiar so far. But notice what he he says after that. Love one another as I have loved you. You see what he just did? He, He just made this, this is a barnstormer now. Like, this is like off the charts impossible. In fact, those of you that know the context of John 13, what did Jesus just get done doing earlier in the chapter? He washed the disciples' feet. See, see, Jesus' love for you is, and, and me is so off the charts. It is so off the charts. In fact, loving one another as, as we love, our, or loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, that's a high standard, no doubt about it. But this standard right here, this is impossible. In fact, 
Here's the good news, though, the Christian life. And here's the thing we've got to understand. You know, people, people say, well, you preach grace. You, pre- you just teach people they can go sin. They can get saved and go live any way they want to. And I'm going to tell you this. Grace always raises the standard. Always raises the standard. Grace never lowers the standard. But grace provides the resources we need to meet the high standard. See, that's the difference. Grace doesn't lower the standard. Grace raises the standard because now we've got divine resources at play and Jesus takes that a notch up. And that's why the Jews in their day and their thinking, they said, well, I don't, I'm not going to commit adultery. And they felt really good about themselves as they walked around town and never committed the physical act of adultery. And Jesus came along and said, you have heard it said of old, you should not commit adultery. And they said, yeah, man, I've kept that one. He said, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in her heart. You see, grace, grace takes that standard up. Now we're talking about internal motives. Now we're talking about hard attitudes. Now we're talking about thinking. Yeah, I didn't flip the bird to the guy that cut me off, but internally I did. That's still a problem. That's still, no, I, no not pat myself on the back. I didn't give him the bird. No, not pat myself on the back because I didn't let out a cuss word. I was cussing inside. I was flipping the bird in my heart. I just didn't do it externally, and that's still not okay because I've got resources that can take me to a higher standard. I don't have to walk anymore. I can fly. I can fly like an eagle because I've got the resources of grace at my disposal. This is what we're talking about here. Jesus takes it a notch up, and so in verse 10, he He says that love uh, does no harm to a neighbor. Ever had a neighbor like that where you just felt like you needed a a referee? (laughs) Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And we we look at this word harm, and and the idea is that that harm means bad, worthless. Uh, It means wicked, vicious, or bad in heart. And what we're trying to say here, and what I believe Paul is saying, is true agape love is not going to manifest itself this way. Vicious, bad, worthless, evil behavior toward others. And what's really interesting about the way he negates this, it's a, it's a little minor Greek point, but, but it, he's basically saying not even a little harm, not, not even a little evil, not even a little, you know, we, we call it like a zinger, you know, <laughs> like so, I got in a little zinger, you know. No, not even that. Because this word, this Greek word, no, translates the Greek word, ooh, um, it expresses a direct and a full negation. And it's independent of any conditions. That means you can clearly say love, agape love, is never going to harm your neighbor. So if you harm your neighbor, what does that tell you? You're not walking in agape love. And take the layer of the onion back a little bit further. You're not walking by means of the Spirit. You're walking according to flesh. And you know what? I, I will admit, I'll be the first one to admit that I'm a human being up here. And you know what? Sometimes I love to zing people that I don't like. And sometimes I even feel really good about it. Right? Let's just like, let's get it out. This is like my confessional up here, right? Some, some weeks. But I, if you're anything like me, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And what it indicates at that moment is I am not walking by means of the Spirit. I'm walking according to the flesh. I'm carnal. I'm just as carnal as the drunk out in the ditch that didn't make it to church this morning. I'm just as carnal as the guy that's cheating on his wife. I'm just as carnal as any crazy 
sin that you can pull up in the category of sin, I'm just as carnal in that moment as anything. And, and that should be an indicator to us that, hey, we need, to, we need to make this relationship with the Lord right. We're out of fellowship. We, we are walking according to flesh. And so when you're doing harm to the neighbor, your neighbor, you should recognize, hey, I'm out of fellowship. That's not good. I'm living carnally. I'm not walking by means of the Spirit because love, agape love, doesn't harm a neighbor. That's, that's the truth of the Word of God. In fact, we see a good description of agape love in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and let's just put it this way. It's the opposite of this. It's, it's the opposite of harm. It, it hopes for good. It wants good. It wants, it wants blessing for other people, not harm, not zingers. It wants, it wants to build people up. And so since love um, does no harm to a neighbor, and since love does not allow one to break any of the commandments, Paul's conclusion here is that love is the fulfillment of the law. And of course, this is true of God's law, and it's true of civic law, too. That if we're walking by means of the Spirit, this love is going to fulfill the law. And so this is truly the key to every human relationship you hold. This, this right here. It is imperative as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a child, as an employee, as an employer, and whatever human relationship else that I didn't mention, aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, I mean, it's imperative that we learn to walk by means of the Spirit. You, in fact, Paul says you owe that. That's what you're obligated to do in your sphere of relationships. You owe that to the people around you. Be a blessing to them. And you can't be a blessing to them by trying to crank out the Christian life in your own strength. You're going to be a phony. You're going to be unstable. You're going to be yes one day, no tomorrow. You're going to be here and excited one day. And you're going to be depressed the next day. And you, we, we need st- the stability that only the Spirit of God can produce in our life. Verse 11, and he says, and do this. Speaking of loving one another, do this, knowing the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. And again, do this just refers to this exhortation to love one another. And now Paul's going to give a reason for the urgency. There's an urgency in obeying this exhortation. There's, there's an urgency expressed here to, to, be, to be about this like right away. Don't, don't delay. That's kind of the idea. And there's a reason for this. And the reason he gives is that we know the time. And I love the word know here. There's a couple of Greek words know that the New Testament writers use a lot. And so it's always good to look these up because they give us an insight. But this word know means to know intuitively, to know with understanding. There's another Greek word, um, gnosko. It means to, to gain experiential knowledge. That's not this word. This means that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we know this intuitively. Now, he has to remind us because many times we put these things out of our mind. But this is something that as he says this, it should ring a bell with every believer in Jesus Christ. He's right. That's, that's right. We know the time. In fact, this word time is not necessarily speaking of, of hours. It's, it's speaking of an opportunity. It's speaking of a, a time frame. Opportunity. We know that we know the opportunity, we know the amount of time, we know the, the, the limited time that we have on this earth to obey this command, to walk by means of the Spirit and actually be beneficial to others. In fact, he uses a perfect tense participle, which means you've known it and you continue to know it. 
You, you knew it intuitively, and you continue to know that this is the case. I remember a, a professor um, that I had in seminary, and he used to have a um, interesting, it was a countdown clock he put on his, on his computer. And he kind of calculated the, the, the time that was the average death of, of men from his background. And he, and he went and did some math. He said, okay, it's about 85. I'm X amount of years old. And he counted down the hours, the days, the hours, the minutes until he was going to face that death. And so every morning as he gets up and studies or, or gets prepared for something he's going to teach, he's got this clock staring at him in the face, counting down, counting down. And that may sound morbid <laughs> in some ways, but you know, the, the mindset I like, we got, we got the time that we have today. You, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed another moment. We got what we have right now. And, and how many of us would, would testify that we have just given time away in our lives? Just flat out given it away. Worthless didn't make a difference. We just flat out gave it away. And we want to just stand here today and say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I want to minimize the amount of time that I waste. And I want to just get after this. That's kind of what saying. And do this, knowing the time. This is uh, the reason here. In fact, he goes on to say this. It's high time to wake awake out of sleep. And one of the things the believer knows intuitively is that this opportunity, loving others, is to be seized right now. This is not, I'll get to that tomorrow attitude, right? This isn't, yeah, I'll hit that diet. You know, all of us, I, I mean, not all of us, I shouldn't include me. I always love to start my diet tomorrow, right? I, mean, I don't want to start it today. I'm going I'm to start doing that tomorrow. And, you know, many times this is how we view the Christian life. Like, yeah, that's a good point. You know, the pastor, the Bible teacher, the missionary, man, they made a great point. And I, and I want to do that. I'm going to start that tomorrow. The point is, no, wake up. It's, it's time right now. This, this, there needs to be no delay. This isn't a tomorrow thing. This is a right now thing. This is what Paul is saying. And in fact, it's interesting because Paul uses this, this figurative illustration of an inactive believer as someone who's asleep. He does it in Ephesians. He does it in 1 Thessalonians. And he's like, wake up. Have you ever tried to wake somebody up that is just dead asleep and you cannot nudge them? You cannot budge them? We used to, I used to play baseball with a guy and, and um, you know, I should have just let him sleep and he would have missed the, the van to one of the games. But I, I was feeling kind that day, right? A little loving. Um, and so I splashed him with a bucket of water to wake him up. And, and you know what? He still didn't wake up. This kid was, I mean, this kid could sleep. You know? And so, but I think believers are like that sometimes. Man, we just need to wake up and start responding to the word of God. This is so clear. We have resources available. What are we doing with our lives? What are we giving time away for? We have someone who died for us and rose again. We said someone who gave his all for us. And we're going to stay asleep? I mean, this is the, the, the interesting thing about Christianity because as excited as I am about this today, I may fall asleep spiritually all by Tuesday. I may, I may need this exact message in my life on Wednesday. All right, we need this encouragement, guys. Wake up. Man, it's time. It's time. Let's go. Let's go. That's kind of the idea here. Some people are 
are, are hard to rouse. You know, this is one of my favorite buttons in the world right there, right? Snooze. A snooze is, man, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to waking up a little bit later. I'll, I'll wake up eventually. I'm going to get to it a little bit later. In fact, some, of, some believers take it this far, and then it ends up there where the clock's not even going off anymore. They're not even interested. And I, I remember an old pastor used to say this all the time, and it just stuck with me. He said, you know, you're going to die doing something. You might as well die serving Jesus Christ. You know, you're, you're going to go through life. You're going to die at some point, And you might as well die serving Jesus. You might as well die with your boots on, so to speak. Engaged in service. Engaged in fellowship with the Lord. Why give away life? Why give away this precious life that we have that's like a vapor? You know, every year that passes on that calendar, it, it's interesting how that seems to cement into my thinking a little bit more. You know, I still, I still play basketball and my mind tells me I'm 18. Crazy. My Achilles told me I was 41, you know. <laughs> so the mind lies, the Achilles tells the truth. <laughs> and then he says, that, he, you know, he closes verse 11 and he says this. Do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, why should, should knowing this, that, that our time is short, motivate uh, the believers to love others? Well, he gives us the answer. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You know, one of the things that we've got to understand about salvation, and, and it kind of, this is one of those passages, it's, it's good to understand like what we've talked about when we talk about the three tenses of salvation, because the word salvation here is spoken of as still future, you know, and so, so does this mean our salvation's in doubt? You know, I thought Paul, Roman believers were already saved. Like, how? Do, what does he mean? It's like out there in the future that kind of can cast doubt on our salvation, right? Well, no, and this is why the context of each passage has got to dictate the type of salvation that we're referring to. Remember, the word salvation, we've looked at this a number of times, can refer to physical deliverance. You know, G, Peter on the water, he's sinking, Jesus, save me, same word. Physical deliverance, save my life, my physical life. It could mean justification, salvation from the penalty of sin. It can mean sanctification, salvation from the power of sin in our daily life. And then it can mean glorification, which is a future salvation from the very presence of sin. And although it's future, at a point in time in the future, God speaks of it as it's something that's already done in Romans chapter 8. Glorification is guaranteed for the one who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. Remember Romans 8, 29, it says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. And what's interesting is the way he phrases it in Romans 8, he doesn't say those whom he has justified, he will glorify. He actually speaks of both of them in the past tense. Like it's a done deal, it just hasn't happened to you yet. It's a future event when that's going to take place, but it's already a done deal in the mind of God. And so he's talking about, I believe in this passage, as he talks about for now, again, he's, he's trying to explain the urgency here. He's trying to say that that salvation, that aspect of your salvation is nearer than when you believed. In fact, you know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that aspect of your salvation is nearer today than it ever has been in, in history. It's nearer today than it was yesterday, right? We're following the logic there, right? That, that makes sense. And so tomorrow it's gonna be nearer, 
if, if we're still living tomorrow. And, and the next day it's going to be nearer. And, and so that's what he's talking about. This is urgent. This is a time-sensitive matter. We need to engage in loving people, loving one another, loving our neighbor. And so he, he talks about this. Now, and this kind of provides a summary. Why should this be a motivation? Well, he's saying that you and I as believers only have a certain amount of time on earth to love others. So let's be engaged in it right now. Let's, let's make this a right now kind of resource that we start tapping into in our daily life. You know, and I think one of the things that I would uh, greatly encourage each one of us and just, uh, just kind of as a group exhortation, can we just together be motivated that we have a short time remaining on earth? Can we, can we just recognize that? And I know like at 18, I didn't think that way. I, man, I was like, you know, I was 10 foot one and bulletproof. I wasn't just 10 feet tall. I was 10 foot one and bulletproof. I mean, I, I thought I was going to live forever and I thought I was going to do whatever I wanted. And, and you know, you, you start creeping up there and you realize, man, this, this, this death thing is going to get me too one of these days. This death thing is going to, going to grab a hold of me one of these days. But you know, may we be convinced of our short time on earth. May we be fully convinced that God wants to work in and through every believer in this world. And, and regardless of everyone out there, more specifically, wants to work in and through every believer in this room. Can we be convinced of that? Can we, can we say a hearty amen to that, that, that if you are breathing this morning and you have a body this morning, God wants to use you. He wants to accomplish things in you. He wants fellowship with you, with you. And so may we also understand and be convinced, take full advantage of the resources we possess in Jesus Christ. Because if we seek to go out and do these things in our own strength, we will be frustrated and, and we will flail like fish out of water. We are, we are fish designed to be in water, swimming with the resources that we have in Christ. And so let's close there and we'll finish, um, by God's grace, we'll finish Romans 13 next week. Lord, thanks um, for your word. Lord, this morning we, uh, we just look at this characteristic of love. Uh, each one of us, if we are honest with ourselves, know somebody or some situation that is unlovable in our own strength. We just look at it. We just recoil, even thinking about it this morning as we sit in our chairs to say, Lord, I, I can't love in that situation. There's no possible way I can love that person. I can love these people. And Lord, may you convince us from your word otherwise. May you teach us to rely upon your resources. What, what are they? What do they mean? How do we practically take advantage of those? Would you teach our hearts to understand that so that we might walk in a way that's worthy and pleasing to you. And so we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.